0: pray our God you have given us songs of praises in your son and for that we do indeed thank you and we thank you for your word which is now before us help us to see and understand what you would have us learn and give us the courage to obey in Jesus name amen please be seated Turn, please, to the word of God in Isaiah, chapter 25. This is a wonderful promise for all of God's people. In Isaiah 25, I'll begin reading at verse 6. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Now, one of the advantages uh, of many that Bill has over us guys who are filling this pulpit while he's gone is as he has so often said, one of the great things about preaching through a book of the Bible, as he does, is that I'm preaching on this this morning because that's where we are. Well, why this particular promise of Isaiah 25 that we look at together now? Well, a couple of months ago, back in May, I was reading the book of Isaiah. Isaiah and I don't know if you've had the experience I imagine you have of just something leaping off the page at you and that's what these wonderful verses did and I thought being a preacher I thought that that would be a wonderful thing to preach on sometime Uh, these are this is a, a promise that that lives with us and sticks by us as we seek to obey our God so let's look together then at these verses, in Isaiah 25, as they, they give us hope, uh, they give us comfort, they give us strength and courage. And I say all this because I know that there's been a lot that's happened in our congregation since May. And a lot that's happened before us, for, before them. And so this is in some ways a very tender subject, but just know that it's a wonderful subject as we look together at God's Word. Now, the most important thing to do at this point is to, is to see why it is that this particular promise in these verses happens where it does in the book of Isaiah. What was going on around more or less 710 B.C. that God the Holy Spirit inspired the prophet to say these things? There had been at one time a united kingdom. David and Solomon around 1,000 or so B.C., so now we're talking 250 years or so later. And uh, it, was a, it was a very difficult time for them because what had just happened, and Isaiah is just addressing the southern kingdom of Judah now because you remember the, the kingdom split after Solomon, and now he's addressing just the southern kingdom. Because what's happened is the northern kingdom of Israel has been overrun by the Assyrian Empire. Very tyrannical, very brutal, very cruel empire. And so what they have on their northern border now, just a few miles to the north, is an empire that has driven out most of God's people, an empire that has now established a puppet government there, and it's a mess. And it's frightening to them. Isaiah says this veil, this covering has come over God's people. This covering, this veil of death is what he says. He calls it in verse 7. And surely this veil dominated their lives in just that way. A very fearful time. Raising children in the shadow of the certainty that there's going to be another war. Will their children grow up or not? They plan in in that sense for a certain future, and the certain future was warfare and the famine that warfare brings with it and that fear of the death not only of those they loved, but of themselves. So God in that situation gives them this promise. Let's look at it. Verse 6: first thing he says is, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts. On this mountain, this place, this people that God had gathered together at Jerusalem, where he met the high priest every year on the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. That place that might be overrun by the enemies of God's people, but still it's going to happen. God establishes His rule and that rule stands and lasts. In spite of the threatening armies, this is what's going to happen in this place. And what else is going to happen there is a feast. A feast of rich food. And He has to repeat Himself to get out the richness of this this feast. He says it's it's going to be rich food Food and well-aged wine and wine well-refined and food full of marrow. It's going to be an incredible place for all peoples. I wonder if they grasped the significance of that all peoples. You remember the promise made to Abraham where all nations of the world will be blessed through your seed. That's surely in Isaiah's mind here. And as they listened to it, they probably remembered that promise and that the spreading of the blessing and glory of God beyond the biological seed of Abraham, even to include us in this promise of a feast where they could expect only famine. God says, no, there's going to be this place where I will establish that there will be no fear of want. No fear of famine and then he goes on and says he's going to swallow up the covering he's going to swallow up the veil that covered them not and well in verse 8 he says he will swallow up death forever not just until the next battle not until just the next sickness but forever He promises to swallow it up, and then I look at verse eight. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The Lord God of heaven and earth, the God from all eternity. The God who is all powerful and all wise and all merciful and all holy and all loving. Look at that picture. He will wipe away the tears of His people. And not only that, but this promise says. That the reproach of His people He will take away. The reproach that we justly deserve because of our own sin. The reproach of God, the enemies of God's people. Justice will be done. It will all be taken care of. That's what's going to... How do we know this is going to happen? Look at right at the end of that verse. For the Lord has spoken. It's going to happen. Now, it's a wonderful promise for those people in the midst of all they were going through. Look at the the depth and the the breadth of the character of God revealed in it. Look at at the promises of God. and He knows who we are and He knows what we need. And He will indeed provide it as He's promised. What about us now, the church? God's people gathered together. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. On toward verse fifty-two, the people in this Greek city of Corinth, to whom Paul ministered, faced similar situation to the people in Judah. <clears throat> See, they they were expecting the Lord to return, and they they mistakenly thought He was going to come right away, and He hadn't yet. And there were people, their family members, their friends, who had died, and so they're they're saying to Paul, "Well, wait a minute, what about them?" They're not here. And Paul says, Jesus has been raised. They will see Jesus. Easter proves the triumph of God over death and the victory of our Savior and the basis of our hope. And then he says in verse 52, right in the middle, for the trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Paul said these things, of course, he wrote in the language of these people, which is the language he used in his missionary journeys, and that's Greek. So as he he writes to them in Greek, he quotes to them from the paraphrase of the the Greek Old Testament that he was using all the time. And right at the end of verse 54, he says, death is swallowed up in victory, which is a direct quote from Isaiah 25, which our translation reads, he, that is God, he will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death in victory. This is God's promise to us who are in Christ Jesus as well as to ancient Judah. This is what God has for us in his son, whom he sent to die. Death is indeed swallowed up in victory. You know, the other churches of the first century, not just Corinth, had similar kinds of problems. As they faced persecution by the Romans, persecution by their enemies and in many, many ways, plus all the kinds of things that we face. And God gave them a word as well. Look at Revelation 21. The Holy Spirit gave the Apostle John this vision of what is to come. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Our God always remembers his promises. The promise of Isaiah 25 is for the church in Corinth. The promise for the church in Corinth is for the churches in Revelation. The promise is for us, his people who belong to him in Christ Jesus. It's all part of the plan of a merciful, sovereign God for his people. And then we look at ourselves when we stop and think about it. We know this veil of death this covering is over us as well. And we too are in need of these words. You know, this summer I was going through security at the airport. Most of us know that feeling. And, you know, I take great, great pride in carrying on all my stuff. Man, I'm not going to check anything. And so I have this handbag, that I, this briefcase thing that I carry, and it goes through the x-ray machine. And it comes out the other end and there's a security guard looks at me and he says, Is that yours? And I said, Yeah, yes. And he said, Do you know the rules? And I'm going, you know, I'm going, What is in there? You know. Did I put a knife? No, I didn't have a knife. I took that out several years ago. And he says, there's a water bottle. I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I forgot. You're not supposed to. I had a bottle of water in there. He says, and unzips it and he says, I'll throw it away. Yeah, that's fine. Please do. You know, when we go through those kinds of things, it's we kind of laugh and we whistle past the grave. But it's kind of uneasy. You know, it causes unease, doesn't Because uh, our imaginations can kind of take off on... 9 11 and terrorism and bombs and all that kind of stuff, and the veil's there, isn't it? We know it. It's the reality of our lives. And we for sure know it when we're waiting news on a biopsy. And we wonder, what is it? And we hope that it's not what we fear that it is. And then we face it when we say goodbye to those whom we love. And we know that God is going to bring them home very soon to be with Him. And we know it when we face our own mortality, even as we say goodbye to them. You know, when we stop and we think, we're an awful lot like ancient Judah, aren't we? Death really is on the border waiting to cross into our territory. And yet in the midst of all this, there's a huge satanic deception in our world. And that deception involves people not stopping and think, thinking about the danger on the border. You know, somebody once observed that the, the Victorian England, the Victorians in the 1800s, they had a problem. They denied sex. But I don't know if you ever know, read, read anything. In a little Dickens, you catch the flavor of it. They didn't hesitate to talk about death. They talked about it all the time. And isn't the opposite true of our world? We talk about sex all the time. But never about death. Or rarely about it. We rarely talk about what we know is there. Think about white hearses for a minute. You know, 20 years ago, 25, somebody would have laughed if a white hearse had driven up to the church. You know? It is odd. Black hearses say something different, don't they, than white ones. It's all part of this world in which we live that we as believers in Christ must continually turn away from and turn back to the truth of Scripture that we may obey God and do all that he has for us to do in this world. These celebrations of life, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. I'm I'm not necessarily putting that down, but the notion that you can have a celebration of life of someone who's died. Without the mention of God, without the mention of eternity, or only just in passing. You've been to one of those yet? I have. And, and physicians, Christian physicians will tell you people get mad at them when someone dies because they expect them to cure them. I mean, you're the doctor, cure them. And they're angry instead of facing the truth that it is right there on the border and that it's part of who we are in this world of sin and darkness you know I'm a Star Trek fan you know I love those space adventures and all that stuff and so it really it really did sadden me although I suspected it was probably true just from watching the old TV shows that the creator of Star Trek a guy named Gene Roddenberry when he died he left provision Uh, instructions for them to cremate his body, put it in a rocket ship, and blast it into outer space. So somewhere up there, the ashes of Gene Roddenberry are drifting around the cosmos, or they've fallen on us already, or something, I don't know. But But think about that for a second. You see that what Gene Roddenberry thought about life is that he's going to be absorbed into the cosmos He's going to be just go on somehow, mysteriously. You see what that does? That attitude denies the significance of human beings. It denies that we are created in the image of God if we're just going to be somehow reabsorbed into the molecules and the atoms and the electrons and all that stuff. We as Christians who have the hope of that Christ won victory, we know the danger of denying death. Because we know that when we deny death as our world does, we're not only denying the significance of man, but we're denying judgment as well. Oh, death is part of life no that's the great satanic lie it's the enemy and each one of us must be prepared to meet it and this promise enables us to do that with hope and delight We meet it in Christ Jesus by faith alone and His shed blood alone we prepare to meet Him. We Christians know that the prophet Amos was right when he urged God's people to what? Prepare to meet your God. It's not a denial of significance or a denial of judgment but a preparation. Because when our world denies death, it denies heaven. And when it denies death, it dooms people to hell. But praise God, in His sovereign mercy, in His goodness giving us this promise in Isaiah 25, through the finished work of His Son, He said it, and it is so, God will swallow up death forever. As we think of the application of this promise in our lives, there's a lot of things. I mean, we can Im- initially just take great comfort in it and just take a deep breath and sigh and say, yes, our God is good. And our God is provided in this, in this veil of tears. But there's some other things, too. One thing is that, it, that this promise gives us courage to minister one to one another during times of grief and loss. You know, see, part of the problem, of course, is our own anxiety about our own eternal destiny and our own anxiety about the great enemy death. So we, but but this gives us courage to go into their presence, not with a glibness, not with a, you know, a quote in Bible verses to people when they're when they're hurting, but a but a coming alongside of them. Not like Job's friends who had it all figured out in spite of what he told them, but that whole idea of saying, I'm going to weep with those who weep and I'm going to mourn with those who mourn. I'm going to be there to support them and not be afraid to say, how are you doing today? Not be afraid to think about them three months after the loss and wonder how they're doing and then asking them about it. Because when we love people and we lose them, we miss them for a long time. To overcome our own anxious fears in order to be able to encourage and comfort one another. Where do you hurt? What can I do for you? And there's another kind of courage that these verses give us too, and that's the courage to prepare for our own death. Uh, Every time I go to a funeral, and we know that feeling as you're at a funeral, I think of my own mortality, of course, and I think, oh yeah, I really do need to get that medical power of attorney written up for my son. I've been doing that for years. <laughs> okay, I really do need to do that. I, I have done it now. I really do need to do those things that prepare all of that legal paperwork and all of that stuff for the sake of those I love. The, the 20th century Presbyterian theologian John Gerstner, I heard him he say one time, he said, you know, when Christians die, The only thing they really ought to have to do at that point is die. Because we know. And we know that God has promised that He's going to take care of us when we cross the Jordan into the promised land. And there's more to it than that, and certainly more than all the paperwork and even our love for those we leave behind us. It's the preparation of our own souls for death. Let me ask Amos' questions to you here Are you prepared to meet your God? Do you know this Savior? Do you know this victory over death that He won for all those who put their trust in Him? Have you had the courage to flee to this God because you know the danger of judgment and you know your own and my own and all of our own sin before this most holy God of the universe? We, have you wonderfully found the courage by the power of His Spirit to come to Him and say, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That by faith we are the people Isaiah gave that promise to. We are the people that Paul reiterated it at the Corinthians. We by faith in the Son alone and by the power of His blood are those to whom the promises were made by the Spirit in Revelation triumphantly revealed for us in the Scripture, our Savior is victorious over death as He rose from the dead to win Himself a people, a people that He never lets go, a people to whom these promises are made. For the believer in Christ, God gives us courage to trust Him through death. Unlike our world, We, as believers in Christ, have no need to deny death, but rather to prepare for it. Indeed, we see not only our need to prepare, but we see the danger in denying it. That denying it reduces the significance of human beings and, and takes away their hope of heaven. Instead, all it gives them is the fear of hell. In Christ, in this promise, we have the courage to face this world in which the veil is still covering, even though we know the victory's won, in which the covering still blinds people to Him, and it still brings fear to us. In Christ, we know with Paul that death is swallowed up in victory. As the hymn writer we just sang put it, When I tread the verge of Jordan, when I'm standing on that shore and that stream is going by, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Why? Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. The death of death in the death of Christ. The great 17th century English preacher and poet wrote these words. He begins by saying Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful for thou art not so. And then he goes on in the very end, he says this. One short sleep. We wake eternally. And death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Let's pray. Our Savior, we thank you for the victory won. Give us courage in that and hope in no other but you because we know that that's where the victory is. Encourage us to serve you and honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. The response this morning is, the Apostle Paul, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And all God's people said, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen.